Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me again on the BIPOC Outside podcast. I'm Chris Cromwell, and today we're sitting down with Alyssa Gonzalez. Alyssa is a multi-sport athlete, an outdoor advocate, and a product designer in the outdoor industry. So let's get into it, shall we? But before we get into it, as you know, this show doesn't happen without our title sponsor, Narco Dirt Series. The Dirt Series hosts weekend-long mountain bike camps throughout Canada and the U.S. in some of the most exceptional ride locations. Whether you're a new rider or wanting to advance your skills, the Dirt Series offers gender-specific, co-ed, and youth-focused camps. They're now booking into the summer and fall. Check them out at dirtseries.com or find their partner link on our website. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'm excited about this. So let's jump right into it. You grew up in New England playing structured sports. Tell me about your journey from being, you know, a kid to a D1 athlete to now like a multi-sport outdoor athlete. Yeah, it's not something that I ever pictured, I think, growing up. I was born in Florida originally and moved to Connecticut when I was 10. And living in Florida, I have a twin sister and my mom was a single mom. She was 20 when she had us or 21. And so 21 year old raising twins, she was working a lot. And so I don't think I realized I didn't have like the quintessential childhood growing up for the most part, but it was mostly just me and my twin playing around with ourselves. And then we moved to Connecticut and all of our friends were doing like they were in soccer and softball and playing sports. And that was the first time that I was finally like, oh, I want to do that too. Like that sounds fun. And So my mom worked her ass off and got us into doing some of that stuff. And so middle school, I started running track and field, kind of just started off as a way to be busy after school, meet some new friends, and it just kept progressing from there. And I ran in college. In high school, it wasn't something that I ever thought I was that great at, but I think it was just a natural talent in some ways. And I went to state, almost made it to nationals in high school. So then when I started looking at college, I realized that you could keep doing sports in college. And I was like, wow, that sounds kind of fun. And I ended up going to a state school for two years and I walked onto their track team there. And that's where it started really clicking for me of This is, I think it was for me, at least the first time in my life that I'd found something that I felt truly passionate about. And it was my own thing. I saw the reward of like working really hard and challenging myself and how much that allowed me to grow as an athlete and a person. And I ended up transferring my junior year of college to a higher level, like D1 school and started running the 400 hurdles. And I walked on to that team at Iowa State University and made nationals that year. And in my mind, I was just like, oh my God, like all these new possibilities opened up. So I was like, oh, like I'm actually an athlete now and like saw like Olympics in my futures and things like that. And it just became my entire life and like my whole identity. Like when I, I was like, my name is Alyssa Gonzalez and I'm like a track star. Like I'm a track runner. Like this is what I do. So getting into the like outdoor sports that I do now is such a huge shift. When I moved to Colorado, I saw people like climbing on mountains and mountain biking. And I was like, they're crazy. I don't know why they would do that. <laughs> and I realized really soon after college that like the lifespan of a 400 meter hurdler doesn't really extend into like the day-to-day life of most normal people because I couldn't like run and jump over things that often and it kind of stalled there. So it was the first time in my life where I had this like identity crisis of I knew that I really loved moving my body in sports and challenging myself in that way. But 
trying to find something different from running. Cause I think I also left the sport with a lot of negative mindsets and some toxic, uh, I don't know, I guess ideas around what being an athlete was and started meeting some new people who were into climbing and trail running and mountain biking. And that kind of just got me into those sports now. And so it was a new way that I found that to challenge myself and to push my body and still made me feel strong and athletic and the things that I really loved about track, but just in a really different way. And I mean, I still love them all today. And it was a really cool sport to be a part of running track in college and for most of my life. And then now shifting that into the outdoor sports that I do. Yeah. I mean, I learned a lot from it. So it's been great. I bet. And I bet you it, you know, you said you came away with some toxic habits, but I bet you, you yeah. also came away with some really positive ones in terms of training Definitely. and how to treat your body. Yeah. I was able to see as like a division one athlete, like, I mean, we had so many resources and tools and things that I was able to educate myself on like nutrition and how to feel myself properly and take care of my body with like foam rolling and stretching and all that. And so that's something that I really pulled into a lot of the sports that I do now, especially getting into more endurance focused sports like backcountry skiing and longer gravel riding and mountain biking really that was something I really took away just like taking care of my body because I mean mountain biking takes it out of you in a way that I can't even explain and so like if I don't take care of my body I mean I'm still young I turned 28 in a month from today but I'm feeling it so I'm just like god I really need to start stretching and I really need to eat food and drink water and take care of myself and I can't just like go outside all day long and not fuel my body and take care of it and and continue to do the sports that I want to do in a way that's going to be sustainable. So there were a lot of really positive things that I pulled from it too. Good. Yeah. I mean, when you jumped into outdoor sports, you jumped all the way in, like literally (laughs) all the sports. Do you have any favorite trail memories? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a few that come to mind. And I will, I will say it's part of my personality. Like when I do something, I do it like 150%. My twin sister always says that about me. It's something that she admires, but both is like scary to her because she is just like, oh my God, you just, you were like, I'm going to start biking. And then the next day I'm like really biking and like going for it. But I, I think my favorite trail memory is the day that I got my first mountain bike. And this, it was actually April of last year. So I've been biking for officially about a year now. I'd been biking before, but I'd never had my own bike and like something that was mine. And it's funny, I became a, like a sponsored athlete, like an ambassador for a bike brand before I'd ever even had my own mountain bike, just based off of the advocacy work that I had started to do, which is always really funny to me because I was like, wow, they have a lot of faith in me, I guess, in my ability to be an athlete. But it was, I remember I picked up the bike from the store in Boulder uh, and I drove immediately like right to the trail, this one trail in South Boulder called Dowby Draw. And I, it was extremely challenging. It was hard for me. I didn't know how to do anything on the bike. And I went with my partner and I just remember on the way down, it's just like this really smooth downhill gravel road. And I was just like, cruising like I'm probably going way too fast for my lack of inability at the time and I just remember like my hair is blowing in the wind like the, I could feel the wind in my body and all of a sudden I just felt like my face was all wet and I was like oh my god am I crying right now and I was just gushing tears and I thought I was like did I get hurt like what's going on or why is my body acting this way and I stopped biking and I realized that I don't know as like an adult I had never really experienced like pure joy and at that moment, I was just like on a bike that was mine. I never thought I would ever be able to like go on my own mountain bike, um, especially like how nice and brand new and beautiful it was. And that feeling of just like being in nature, moving my body on something that was mine, it felt so freeing. I felt so independent. And it like clicked for me, like in that moment, I was like, everyone should experience this. Like everyone should be able, 
it like it it felt freshening for me at like 26 or 27 at the time I was like this is the first time that I've really felt this as an adult and having conversations now with other people like I know that that's something that they've experienced too like later in their lives a lot of BIPOC athletes don't really experience that until they get onto the trails and like their adulthood and so I, yeah that was something that I really think about a lot like every day that I'm doing the work that I'm doing is just like that feeling that I got the first time on my own bike and it was amazing like I, I haven't been able to replace that since and there's been a lot of experiences since some that I've felt that joy and it's been really cool to just like go back to that trail and it always holds like a little special place in my heart for me so that's amazing you started mountain biking a year-ish ago and now you're planning mm-hmm. to participate in the West Fjords Way Challenge this yeah. season? Is that true? Okay, so for people who don't know what that is, tell us what that is. So it is a gravel race. I think by definition, it's an ultra endurance bike packing race. I use the word race liberally. It's definitely a challenge. It is a four stage challenge. So each day is its own stage and it is about I think 590 miles total and around 40,000 feet of elevation gain over those four days. And so it's the time of the year in Iceland where you get 24 hours of daylight. So each stage is 24 hours and you have to complete anywhere from like 130 to 150 miles and eight to 12,000 feet of elevation gain a day on a gravel bike with your gear and you just got to make it to each stage. That's the gist of the race. It's a really, really cool. I know it sounds crazy. If you would have asked me a year ago, would I be doing this, I would say absolutely not. But I mean, like I said, I just kind of go all in. So I'm rolling on this. Yeah, that that's yeah. also way in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this race is also one of the cool things about this race. It's unique in a lot of ways in terms of how it's set up, in terms of cultural elements. Talk about those a little bit. The race is in Iceland. And so I think the interesting thing to me is being like, I'm one of the sponsored writers that are going out there. Um, along with a few other writers who were working on a BIPOC scholarship. And it was really interesting being a part of that and also looking at the social climate in Iceland, which is really, really different from how it is here in uh, America, where we have had a lot of conversations and discussions around just like social injustice and racial inequity, especially in the outdoors and just in general in our country, even just the rights that people of color have versus other people. And so doing that or just taking that energy and that spirit into a place that doesn't necessarily have the same history or background as other country was really important because I think we that's kind of where the equity part comes in for the people who were participating and planning this scholarship for the race where we recognize that, I mean, yeah, this these issues don't only really just exist in America. It is a global issue. And I mean, the privilege to be able to go to another country, a tourist essentially, and ride on land that's not ours and all of that stuff is were things that we were kind of just considering. And so that was a really big, I think, a unique part about the race is that we had a global BIPOC scholarship. Anyone from anywhere in the world could apply to it, despite where they're coming from. Like, it doesn't really matter. So that was something cool that I was excited to be a part about or a part of. And something that I really found unique about the race is the cultural emphasis, I think, on Iceland itself. And something that I've experienced here in the few races and events that I've been to, at least in the cycling industry, is that it is a really fun environment and it is all about racing and meeting people and riding bikes. But I think the way that we think of competition in sports in general is like, you have to be the best and the fastest and get it done as quick as possible. And the cool thing about this challenge is that you're going to be on your bike for 10 to 15 hours a day, if not longer, for four days straight. And so you don't, we kind of want to throw like that time thing out the window, like 
yeah, you can get it done as fast as possible, but it's still going to be a lot of time in your saddle. And there are at each stage cultural connections that you are required to stop at. So at least two minimum, I think each stage. So whether that's a hot springs or a local cafe or like an Arctic Fox refuge, I mean, really amazing cultural things in Iceland. I think it kind of requires all the riders to slow down a little bit and appreciate the things that we're riding through. I mean, we're going to be in the West Fjords of Iceland. It's going to be absolutely gorgeous. And I'm really excited to kind of take that like slowing down mentality as we're going for days on our bikes and to really appreciate the land that we're on, the people that are helping fuel us like in these cafes and like these small businesses that we're going to be able to stop by. And I really want to, I've been thinking about that a lot and trying to take that into some of the training that I've been doing and the rides that I've been doing out here in Colorado and just trying to slow down on it and really think about like the land that I'm on, the places that I'm passing, like actually looking up from the ground and like looking at the nature around me and just trying to slow down a little bit. So I'm hoping that, I mean, I'll be one of like about a hundred riders and I'm hoping that all of us will be able to kind of take that mentality and that spirit to the rest of our training and rides and races that we do in the future. Those other individuals who received scholarships, you facilitated that. They're not Mm -hmm. just individuals you're riding with. They're individuals you facilitated through the process. Tell me about that. I was able to work with two other really amazing athletes, Burke Audi and Jalen Bazile, who are also coincidentally both based in Colorado. I think Jalen just moved to Arkansas, actually, but two other really amazing BIPOC cyclists. And it was a huge privilege to be able to work with the Cycling West Fjords team on this scholarship, but also extremely challenging in some ways, because I think we wanted to be intentional about it. But also we were in this position where we had two free trips to Iceland, essentially, and we had 32 people apply for the scholarship. And so it's really tough on our end as people who've also been in that position too, like applying for these really cool experiences to say like, you know, like who actually deserves it the best. And like, it wasn't even about like who deserves it or who is the best person for it. A lot of it came down to just, we had phone calls and video calls with all the applicants, their stories of what they were trying to tell, like having their intentions come through too. And like, also we wanted, we didn't want to set up anyone up for failure. Like this is a really tough experience. And so making sure that everyone really understood, like we want everyone to be able to finish it and feel proud of themselves finishing it. And so that was a big part of it too. It's like, do you really think that you can do this? And if you believe in yourself, like we're going to believe in you too. And so it was a really cool experience getting to meet these 32 athletes, like from all over the world and to narrow it down to the two people that we selected. So yeah, I'm excited to get out there and ride with them, get to know them better. It's going to be a lot of time uh, to get to know them. So I'm sure we're going to be like family by the end of it, but It was a really cool experience and something being able to work on scholarships like this has been a really cool part of the work that I've been doing. I bet. And the scholarship is very aligned with a goal that sort of threads through all of your work, your advocacy work, your DEI work. And you say, and you state it as like changing what starting lines look like. And Mm -hmm. I love that. And so tell me how you came to that. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's so funny because I've only been in this world really for about a year, but I think one of the first things that I noticed when I got into it, I was like, wow, like I do, even though I am like lighter skinned and mixed race, like in Colorado, like I feel like a minority almost hundred percent of the time, whether it's going uh, into a bike shop or walking onto a trail or skiing or, you know, any of the spaces that I'm in and getting into racing, which is something that I really loved from my like former life as a D1 athlete and starting against that world there. Like, I mean, it was almost immediately that I noticed that too. And I think, I mean, my overall goal is a lot more broad than just diversifying starting lines. I think I want to be able to help make an impact and making the outdoors inherently more diverse and equitable and inclusive and accessible to everyone. But I think 
when it comes to racing in a space that I really like to be in. I just want to help challenge what the idea of like who can even be at a starting line or like what that success even looks like, the people that go to races. Because I think we hear the term race and everyone gets a little scared. They're like, oh, like whether they have trauma with competition or trauma with racing or feeling like they don't belong there. I think there's so many different layers to it that being able to at least provide this experience in this situation with the race in ISIL and give two people the opportunity to experience a race in a way that's really, really challenging, but also unique in its own. I hope that that will kind of help drive in that idea of like, I mean, what does success look like in this situation or who are the people that are going to be lining up the starting line and having us change that idea just a little bit. And with a lot of the other work that I do too, just it is really a lot about reframing and relearning and trying to just think from a different perspective than like, I don't know, what I think the mainstream world views as these words and these spaces that we're in. Yeah, I totally get that. And Something else that comes up often when you state your goals towards your advocacy work, it's making connections with people through joy in the outdoors. And I, I love that. And I think that that's a really interesting concept. So how does coming together in the outdoors create a unique space to build community? I think from my perspective and like my own experiences as a woman, as a mixed race woman, a BIPOC woman, I personally, getting into the outdoors, was struggling to find community. I couldn't, I didn't see people that looked like me. Everyone in the spaces that I was in, not everyone, but a majority of the people like had a lot of education in the outdoors. They have been doing it their whole life, especially living here in Boulder, Colorado. I mean, everyone has the nicest gear. Everyone is some level of professional and they've been doing it since they were two. Like they know all the secret words and the things to use. And I just felt so out of place for so many reasons. And so Finding community was so important to me getting into the sport because, I mean, running track in college, yes, it was an individual sport, but I had a team and I had people that like understood, like we were all there, like grinding on the track together and like through all the hard things and encouraging each other. And that was something that I really loved about the sport is that like I could be working really, really hard and like look over and see my teammate like working equally as hard and like we got each other through it. And that was something that I really valued. And then like getting out into like mountain biking and skiing, it felt individual in a lot of ways and where I'd be out in a trail by myself and like pushing my bike and people would just zoom right by me and not say anything. And I'm like, bam, that really sucks. And so I think wanting to start experiencing that joy with other people and finding that community was just so important to me that the work that I do now, I really wanted to help people connect in that way too. Because I think especially as historically marginalized people in this space, we already have all these other barriers and things that we're thinking about. And if we can have more of these spaces where we can be together as a community and be in relation with each other, I think it just helps make us a little bit stronger so that, you know, we know that even if I am biking by myself on the trail and I don't have like the encouragement of people right next to me. I think of my friends that are supporting me and that I know I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do this for them or I'm going to get up this hill and I know that they're going to be proud of me and we're going to talk about this later and just trying to like help other people who feel like they might not have had a space find space and like that really just helps keep us moving and I mean the little tiny community here that I have in Boulder can grow and like those people can go other places and eventually it just gets larger and larger where like there is this massive network of people where we know that we're supported and it's not just us by ourselves out here doing things that we do. I really love that. And I love the idea that even when we're not together, we're together. I think that's really special. Sort of another thing that it often comes up, particularly when, you know, you've been interviewed in, in magazines or when you've been interviewed in like in this sort of format before you've emphasized storytelling 
And you emphasize storytelling in your DEI work, as you said, you know, reframing narratives, reframing how we understand. So like, what are things that you prioritize in terms of reframing? What is your approach to storytelling? Well, when I say storytelling too, it's just like a fancy way, I think, of saying, because I, I, I guess I use it in a really broad sense. You have the traditional form of storytelling, journalism, posts, writing words down, digesting information that way. But when I say storytelling, I really think I mean like conversation and connection. For me, getting into this work that I am in now, I was never really someone who used my voice or thought it had any importance. And during 2020, when I think a lot of people were spending a lot of time indoors and uh, really, really being introspective about things. I started wondering, like, my purpose, my identity, like, what am I doing out here? And then also getting into the outdoors is a really interesting time for me because the Black Lives Matter uh, movements are happening and a lot of widespread AAPI hate. And I'm a half Asian, Southeast Asian. My mom is from Thailand. And so, like, being mixed race and being a person of color and going through this really turbulent time, I think, in our country's history was really impactful for me. And hearing the stories and voices of other Black and Brown and Indigenous people sharing that. Like, I was one of the first times in my life that I had seen people that looked like me sharing experiences where I was like, oh, like I'm not alone in this space. Because I think growing up in Connecticut and going to college in Iowa and living in uh, Colorado now, I have mostly operated in uh, white spaces and I feel really comfortable in white spaces. But it, I didn't even think about it like that. And I never even really thought about my own identity and my own race and how that plays into how I am treated and accepted into the world. And so getting into the outdoors at the same time too, is just like, it's really big, like, excuse my French mind fuck for me, but like, I was just like, wow, like what, who am I and what's going on? And so that's where like storytelling has just become so important to me because I've seen how powerful and moving words are, especially for people who really need to hear them. And I've always looked at my work where, I mean, I'm learning every single day. It's, I'm not like an expert in this field or in diversity, equity, inclusion. It's, it's just my own experiences and like how I've operated in the world. And hopefully by sharing that and helping other people share their stories and experiences and perspectives, if it just changes one person's mind or maybe has them think about something a little bit differently. Like, I think that's where a lot of the impact comes from and where true change can come from. And I'm someone who really loves talking and conversation. And like I have all my family down in Florida. I mean, they're Hispanic immigrants. My family is from Chile and Uruguay, but they all were really adamant Trump supporters and loved my parents and um, really not the most, I'd say, liberal thinking people ever. And so being on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, like going down there and visiting them and talking to them about stuff like that, it was really challenging for me because I wanted to be like, oh, you, you're just not going to get it. Like, you don't care. You're just going to be close-minded forever. But I found that just sitting down and having conversations being like, hey, this is where I'm coming from. Let me just at least tell you the experiences that I've had. You don't have to believe in me. You don't have to believe in what I'm saying, but like, just know that there are people out there experiencing things differently. And that was something that actually didn't change their mind, but I mean, it, it opened their minds to different possibilities where now they're a little bit more open to talking about stuff or like even hearing about the work that I'm doing. And so I just found that like for so many different reasons, storytelling is just so impactful and changes so much. And so that's why it's something that I just feel so strongly about. And yeah, just the more that we can get out there and share stories and see ourselves in other stories and just hear different perspectives. It, I think the key to it. Also. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's kind of a common theme that, I, you know, I'm seeing from the 10,000 foot view, positive changes that are happening in the industry. It's really difficult to look back on the last, 
you know, two and a half years and see any silver lining. Mm -hmm. And it feels like with all of the, you know, shared tragedy, shared trauma, it's pulled people to either side, but it has really, some folk such as yourself have really bubbled to the surface as like, nope, this is my opportunity. I'm going to make positive change. And, and that's really hopeful, right? It's really great. Yeah. Well, thanks. (laughs) It's it's hard. But I mean, the whole thing will be kind of rolling on to it. I have no question that it's hard. <laughs> no concept of how hard it is. So switching gears a little bit for your day job, you're a product designer with Outside Inc. Tell me about your work there. Yeah, I have been there for about three and a half years now. We're based in Boulder, Colorado, so it's not too far from my apartment. And so as a product designer, I'm responsible for the user experience of digital products here at Outside. And so that's a lot of user experience and interface design. And I work on the full life cycle of a project. So from the initial conceptions and ideas to research and then sketching it out, designing it, having it go live online, doing testing, making sure it's working, et cetera. So it's a lot of time just spent digitally on a computer, creating products. And I kind of look at my role as a product designer as someone who kind of solves or creates digital solutions for problems that our users and our target audiences and people experience and feel. So it's a lot of just really understanding the users and the people that we're working with, trying to advocate for them and think of them or have them in mind when we're creating our designs and our projects. So it's not just like making things pretty and making websites and cool stuff. It's really making stuff intentionally with people in mind. How do you braid the things that you do with your advocacy work or the your outdoor sport world with your mm-hmm. design work? Well, for a while, I didn't see how it connected. And it kind of just like clicked for me one day how it did because I started getting into this field, like user experience design, before I even considered myself an advocate or even really dived into that side of my life. And I, I didn't see how it connected where like I'm spending every day at work advocating for users and making sure that they're being represented in the projects that we're making and creating stuff to like solve the problems in their life and pain points of the experience. I didn't see how that connected to me advocating for people in their social rights and the things that they are experiencing and the pains in their life. Obviously, I see the connection now, but I think day to day, I I mean, I try to be really intentional with the work that I make and I really do try to speak up for our users. And so I'll always be that person in the meeting raising my hand being like, well, what about this? Or, but they don't really want this or trying to speak up for them in that way. And so I've been really vocal about being that advocate for them in the way that we're designing, as well as we do a lot of research. We do a lot of user Uh, interviews and testing. And so trying to break out of that more homogenous mold of the people that we have been speaking to, which is the traditional view of what the outdoor industry is viewed as as middle-aged white men that are affluent, you know, and trying to find more diverse audiences to have user interviews with and to talk to just to gain some perspectives in the work that we're doing, as well as me and one of my coworkers are actually kicking off a large accessibility project this quarter where we are looking at our entire digital experience that outside has and is it accessible for people who are vision or hearing impaired do we have like diverse imagery and is the language that we're using inclusive so it's everything around accessibility just from like the back end to the front end of how we're designing stuff to the actual representation of how the projects or products are coming out and like the colors and branding and language and all of that stuff so it's, it's just trying to take 
that mindset that I have with all of the diversity, equity, and inclusion work that I'm doing and bringing it into the design work that I do too. Because I think I focus so much on it in the outdoors that I forget that like inside on a computer, like it, it makes such a huge difference too. And so just, yeah, it's been really cool trying to like figure out how I can pull that in just create more accessibility through the products that I'm creating too. Excellent. And so recently you got to move out of digital design and into mm. physical design and you work with one of your sponsors on bike shorts. And so clothing is something that keeps coming up all the time this season. So for you, what elements did you include in your design? I didn't have any hand in the actual design of the bike shorts, but it was more so I think like concept and the conversations around it all. And it was with my sponsor, Well Bride. They're a really amazing company based out of Sun Valley, Idaho. It's all women owned. Cassie Abel, the amazing CEO that she is. Her, she was actually one of the first people that reached out to me, getting me into the whole like ambassador sponsored athlete realm. And when I started mountain biking, I wanted women centric clothing. You know, I wanted someone who has is a woman who has like worn mountain bike clothing and thought about that. So working with Wild Dry was really amazing. And then later in the summer, I started getting into more gravel biking and I found that I was struggling to find stuff that kind of had the same vibe as like all of Wild Dry's mountain bike stuff. And so I think they always had the product of a longer bike short in mind. And so it kind of accelerated a little bit as I became an athlete with them and started voicing some more thoughts around longer seams or something that would be able to withhold like really long rides or fit thicker thighs and just like these extra considerations that I think they had heard a little bit before, but started uh, accelerating a little bit more. And so, yeah, we came up with the Alyssa chamois. It is a longer short. It has more padding, so less chafing. It fits really nicely. I have larger thighs, and so it fits really nicely. It doesn't ride up and turn into booty shorts when I'm on my bike, and it's just a really comfortable piece of clothing. And I think that is something that I love about it. Where like I don't, I'm not thinking about my shorts while I'm biking, and that's the whole point of it. Is that you don't want to ever have to be thinking about like, oh my gosh, I have to pull these down, or this is getting really uncomfortable. And that's what I've experienced with a lot of women's outdoor apparel, where it doesn't feel like it's made for me. Um, and so having something made with me in mind was really special and cool. And I know that a lot of other people that I've talked to that have tried them out so far have felt very similarly that it's just, they put them on and then they're just biking. You don't have to think about it. And so that's the whole goal with it. Yeah. It was really exciting and feels like such an honor to have something named after me like that. But the team at Wild Ryan's really become like a family to me. And so it's been really cool to kind of just be like memorialized in that way. Yeah, we are big fans of Wild Rye around here and yeah. their size inclusiveness and they are interesting and it's not just shrink it and pink it. It's real technical yes. <laughs> for real women's bodies and we are big fans around here. Definitely. You are also now, and you have been for a little while, the DEI coordinator for Rome Fest which mm -hmm. is not one festival, it's a series of festivals. Yeah. For our listeners who don't know, tell us about Rome Fest. Yeah, they are really amazing queer women-owned uh, bike event group, essentially. So they have three festivals. This, this is our first year having three festivals in Colorado, Tennessee, and Arizona. And so just a weekend long of women biking in fun biking destinations. And we have dance parties, you have tons of group rides, workshops, panels, you know, it's kind of just like a weekend about community and biking and having fun. And they, it's owned by these two really amazing women, Andy and Ash Dalton, and they're based out of Fruita, Colorado. It's a super good time. I'm actually heading there this week for our first festival in Knoxville. Nice. And you were sort of the driving force behind the BIPOC scholarships that they now have for the festival, right? Yeah. When I started biking last summer, 
like I was saying earlier, like community was so important to me. And I just got on Google and I was like, women, mountain biking, community, and you know, all the keywords. And I found Grumfest that way. And so I was like, oh, this is really cool. It's like an entire weekend where women have the opportunity to just bike together. Like that's exactly what I'm looking for. But as I was looking at the website and looking at their social media, I was just like, oh, well, none of these women look like me. So I don't know if I feel comfortable there. I don't know if like they have any space for me. But I saw that they were doing a holding 20% of their tickets for BIPOC athletes. So I was curious about that and reached out to Ash to discuss it all. And we ended up having, I think, like a two and a half hour conversation. And by the end of that, I was brought on as her DEI coordinator. And I was like, I got off the phone call. I was like, okay, what just happened and essentially I mean we just had a really long real conversation about like the I think hesitations I had about a woman of color or as a woman of color coming into a space that I didn't really know how to bike that well I didn't know anything about not biking I was nervous about going into a space where it seemed like everyone had all the gear had all the experience knew the lingo knew what they were doing and I almost just wanted reassurance that like I was going to be okay there and I didn't get it honestly like at first Ash was like you know what this is for experienced riders and it's not a place that beginners can really come all the time. And she wasn't saying that in like an exclusionary way. It was just always how their festivals had run because it started because they wanted a space for experienced riders to be able to just have fun and ride and not have to be competing or doing slow spinnings. But then we got into a whole conversation of like, what what is an experienced rider? Who is that? And it really opened up a lot of doors for us to work together to think about what the future of biking looks like, especially for women's mountain biking communities. Do we just want to keep spaces where like it's all the cool kids, the kids who've always done it and know how to do it. And we're just going to party together every single year. And that's what it's going to be. Or do we want to open doors to have new athletes and for people to get experience and get that community, which is what they wanted in the first place. And that's kind of where it's shifted. And so I started working with them on initiatives and ideas around how to become more inclusive, how to create more accessibility out there schools and their BIPOC scholarship started last year and it's continuing on to this year. We'll be sponsoring 15 athletes at each event. We have some really special gifts and things that are coming from some of our sponsors too. And something is really exciting this year as well is that we opened up an entire adaptive programming uh, at two of our festivals for the Knoxville and Fruita Festival, where we are working with para-athletes and adaptive programs uh, locally to also now bring in um, a whole other subset of riders that are often not thought about is people with disabilities and panpsychists and people with cognitive and physical disabilities where they want to come ride mountain bikes too. Like, why can't they come ride with us? And so it's been really exciting to kind of just like open that whole lens of accessibility and inclusivity. And Ash and Andy have been 100% down for it the entire way and like ready to have the tough conversations. And it's been something that I've been really grateful for and just super excited to be a part of, to just really see the change in the mountain bike industry just through these festivals alone. That's amazing. Yeah. Something I'm, you know, trying to educate myself more on is trails and trail accessibility in terms of... <laughs> with the bridges and stuff for hand cycles and stuff like that. And trails is also something that you seem to focus on. There's a lot of, you know, give back trail maintenance. You do a lot of initiatives, not just with inclusivity, but also the environments you're in. Yeah. And so that's something that, I mean, Rome specifically focuses on too, where the locations that we're going to, it's not just us going to a location and riding bikes. I think we're looking at like, how can we go and also help support the economy and the trails here? And so we try to find local trail organizations to donate money to, to pay for their permits to, we have uh, raffles at all of our festivals too, where we get money and we donate to, we have one of our larger partners is World Ride. And so they are a nonprofit that helps empower women through biking. And so we have lots of opportunities through 
through the local and global communities of cycling that we try to give back towards. And we all are working also too with other consultants and people in this space to try to understand a little bit more about the land that we're working on too. And so working with some indigenous consultants as well to recognize that the land that we're riding on is unceded and stolen territory of indigenous tribes and trying to figure out because there's no manual of like, how do we really, you know, like the whole land back movement, there's, it's not like, oh, well, we just donate money to the tribe that we're on. And it's not that easy. And it's also not that simple. And we want it to be intentional. So we're trying to work really hard this year too to work with a lot of various indigenous consultants in the areas that we are riding and having these festivals to make sure that we can work with them in a good way and have them feel like there is equity being provided to them as we are like using the land that should be theirs and is theirs, I guess, you know, so yeah. That's an, that's an excellent approach. So in reality, you've only been an outdoor athlete for a short time. You're taking on like a 600 mile race this coming yeah. summer. And last winter you became a ski instructor. Right. <laughs> all in, all in, all the time. All in, all the way. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, never thought I would ever be skiing. So this season was actually my fourth season on skis. It is extremely new to me still. And I found this group last winter called Limit of Winter. I, I think I saw, I was on Teton Grande Research, their Instagram, and I saw they had a post. It was like, IPOC Ski and Trekker Scholarship. And I was like, that sounds cool. I'm just going to apply. I was like laying in bed at Steamboat. I just got done like skiing one of the best runs I'd ever skied. And I was like, I'm, I was all jazzed up. So I applied for the scholarship. In no way did I think I was going to get it. And then I got a DM from the woman, Chris Walsh, who uh, runs it all a few weeks later. And I was like, hey, you got accepted. Uh, we'll see you in Big Sky, Montana in a few weeks. And I was like, oh, okay. So now I actually have to be a ski instructor. And at that time in my mind, like I had only thought of ski instructors as like the very traditional ski instructor route where you're working for a ski school and you're just spending all day in the mountain teaching little kids how to ski. And so that's kind of what I had in my mind going into it. But the entire experience itself was like completely life-changing. It was one of like the, I think, pivotal moments for me that really illustrated how important this advocacy work is. And these experiences for women of color specifically are in the outdoors. That was the first time in my life that I had been with women of color exclusively in the outdoors. And that was really mind-boggling to me. I couldn't wrap my head around it. And I was like, wow, the 20-something years that I've lived my life, I've never been with people that looked like me and shared similar experiences with me. That's crazy. And I know for me at 20 something experience that there's people in their 50s and 60s who haven't experienced that and it's I mean it's life-changing and so being there surrounded by other women of color feeling like I was in a community where I was I didn't have to code switch I didn't have to pretend to be anything I wasn't I was just like accepting who I was and I was really it was really cool because I could just drop all those other things that I always think about and the anxieties that I had and just I just focused on having fun and learning and being on my skis yeah so I am a PSIA AASRI certified ski instructor and I didn't follow the traditional route of working at a ski school and I kind of have just taken that experience and the certification as like another tool in my tool belt to help further the work that I'm doing and to provide more access for the communities that I want to work with. And I mean, now I just have this cool skill that I have the ability to help other people like get down a mountain safely and like find that joy that I really hope that they can experience and work with other groups like Women of Winter in the future to just continue to spread that knowledge. That's incredible. I have been skiing a lot longer than you and I... <laughs> 
Nowhere near a ski instructor, I'll tell you that for free. Really, really incredible. You've been doing, it feels like you've been going a thousand miles a minute just listening to you, basically since the moment you landed in Colorado and you've been <laughs> a ton of media and rightfully so because of all the different fascinating projects you've been working on. What's one question that you've always wanted to answer but no one's ever asked you? It's a really tough question. I, I was thinking about this for a while and I think it's always funny because we just like dive right into the DEI work that I do and that's mostly the focus of what I think a lot of this media is and I feel like I never get to really just get the like how, how are you how are you doing type of questions you know and that's something that I think about a lot I have I go to therapy every week I have really bad anxiety I struggled with depression my whole life and so not that I always really want to focus on like how am I doing but I think something that a lot of people don't think about is how this line of work really affects the people that are in this space, you know, the burnout, the anxiety, the stress, like constant performance and stuff. And so, yeah, I think just like, how am I doing and how do I is something that I've always wanted to just start off, set an intention with that way, you know? It is, it is a ton of emotional labor, this work. Yeah. How, how do you find, how do you find balance? Where do you find your balance? Movement, being outside. Yeah. I mean, I, I have really bad anxiety. I have ADHD, I have OCD. So sometimes sitting down and doing this work is really hard for me. And so I, I feel the best when I'm moving my body and whether that's even just like walking outside, like to my mailbox and walking back inside, like that feels way better than just like sitting in it. And so I think that's why I love the sports that I do so much too, because it gives me it's almost like active meditation. Like I'm when I'm on my bike, I'm on my bike. I'm not checking my phone. I'm not posting on Instagram. I'm not I don't know, replying to emails. It's the one time that I get to really just be present and focus. And so that really helps me reset and find balance again. Amazing. So other than, you know, just like a 600 mile race. <laughs> What else you got coming up this summer? I got a full schedule. It's it's all it's all work stuff, I guess, but it's all fun stuff for me. Like I'm really grateful that I have the privilege to be in this line of work that I am in where I get to go to bike events and bike festivals and that's my work, you know. For I mean, on the weekends, my day job, still at a computer. But yeah, I have all three Rome festivals that I'll be at in Maxville, Fruta and Sedona. And then I have some races that I'm doing. So the West Fjords Way Challenge, big one, big, big one that I'm planning. I have two in Vermont that I'm really excited about, Steamboat Gravel in Colorado, and then a women's enduro race, Sturdy Dirty in Seattle. And then everything else is just, I mean, a lot of biking, kind of obsessed with biking at the moment. So I really am excited to plan some bikepacking trips with my friends, just more bike rides around Colorado, getting to know my area more. And then I really want to start doing some more work where it's focused on the community here in Colorado and not me having to always leave and do this. So that's something that I'm really trying to own it on this summer is more group rides some local clinics and events here in Boulder and here in the Front Range to really, I think, create a stronger community for the BIPOC athletes out here. Something that I've noticed is that I, like, I do all of this work, but then I leave my home to do it very often. And I was just like, well, why is no one doing that here? So I am really excited to try to find some more time to spend here in Boulder and focusing on that. Awesome. Where do our listeners find you? They can find me on Instagram at underscore Alyssa Gonzalez, A-L-Y-S-S-A-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E. Awesome. Listeners, you can find the links on where to find Alyssa and a lot of the things that we talked about, resources that we talked about, and some of the events that we talked about, all in the show notes for this episode. Alyssa, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is amazing. Thank you so much. i
That is it for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Links on where to find Alyssa are available in the show notes at BIPOCoutside.com. I hope this conversation was as fascinating for you as it was for me. And if it was, don't hesitate to smash the like button. I hope you'll join us again for another episode of BIPOC Outside.